Hi everyone, in today's podcast I want to spend some time talking about uh, the newest recipient of the firm's, cons- of the firm's consulting emerging, f- emerging Fellows Program. For those of you who are not familiar, the Emerging Fellows Program is a program whereby we, we bring in students from, I would say, impoverished parts of the world like Vietnam, parts of Central Asia, Africa, parts of Latin America, put them into our program over quite a long period whereby we train them and guide them into very good schools and then help place them at McKinsey and BCG and Bain. Um, If you want to see more details about this, you can go to our clients page and you can listen to an interview with um, uh, one of the uh, recipients of the program, Sander, who was from Burma, and and she joined the Boston Consulting Group. So you can listen to her interview discussing her experiences, how she went through things, and how we guided her through that, and so on. But today I don't want to talk about Sander, who is obviously a very um, accomplished young lady. Today I want to talk about Svita. So 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 Svita is a lady who comes from one of the most unusual parts of the world. And it's interesting how I found her as well, or how she found me. But anyway, a few months ago, I received an email from someone in Siberia. It was a high school student who was looking for a job in the mining industry in Russia. And they had read about something I had written somewhere. And they just assumed I was familiar with the mining companies and they wanted to know if you know I could you know look at their resume because for some weird reason they thought that uh, I because I knew so much about mining I could you know hire them or or knew someone in the Russian mining industry who could hire them so anyway, I get this email out of the blue from this lady and I start speaking to her and asking you know talking to her via email about what she's looking for and so on and she shares her details with me so anyway she comes from a part of the world which is known as the Saka region. And if, if, you've, um, if you have ever looked at a map of Russia, the Saka region is the region in deep Siberia, also known as the Yakutia Republic. It's, um, there's very few people who live there. I think the official population is still less than a million for a region which is the size of Western Europe. Um, I believe that the average temperature, mild temperature in February is something like minus 45 and and it can get to minus 70. And this young lady who lives at home, uh, fairly large family, had decided that to help her family, she should go get a work in either Mongolia or in one of the large um, uh, Russian mining projects taking place in that region. So she wanted some help for someone who would introduce her. And so I started speaking to her. And one of the things I realized is she's actually quite smart. She'd also received fairly good grades. I mean, I would say excellent grades in high school. So she was someone who, despite you know living a very rural life, um, focused on her grades. An example of how rural the life is, is that it, it surprised me to realize and I suppose I shouldn't be surprised considering every part of the world is different, but the most common dishes there are actually fishes. They eat horse meat. Reindeer meat is a delicacy. Horse meat, horse meat 
is a delicate, I wouldn't say a delicacy, it is a staple diet and a lot of berries and so on. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's a completely different world, right? Whereby if you want to do winter fishing in Canada, you only have to probably, I would say, dig into the water for about maybe 30 centimeters maximum. But in Siberia, the lakes are so cold that you have to drill for three meters before you break the top of the ice to do ice fishing. So it's a completely different world. So young lady, 18 years old, has no intention, had never heard of university and McKinsey and Bain and so on, wants to work for a mining company so she can make money and her parents don't have to take care of her. So we started talking about this. And I found she was quite knowledgeable about things. She was, you know, I was surprised at her at a grasp of English. wasn't good, but she was, you know, had a lot of confidence. And we started talking about what our options were. And I was of the view, you know, I'm always of the view that if you live in a developed land like Canada and the U.S. and you were born there, you have many options. You know, you can go work for a startup. You can live a great life without getting an education. But if you're living in a developing economy, um, you, you need an education, in my opinion. It's pretty difficult to go anywhere without an education. It's not impossible, but it's much harder. So my view was, my default view was that she's smart, she can speak, she's got excellent grades, um, she's got a very interesting experience, which will be very interesting for universities. Someone like this shouldn't be going to work in a mine, but should actually go get an education. And those discussions were actually pretty difficult because she rightfully believed that she didn't want to be a burden on her family anymore, so she needed to get a job. And she, this was a consistent viewpoint, and I had to really think very carefully about how to reposition this to her. And eventually, after something like the fourth or fifth discussion, may have been the sixth, I don't have my notes in front of me, but I got her to understand that, okay, if you, if it, let's assume it costs your family, I don't know, $100 a month, just to take care of you, probably less, $50 a month or, or even less just to take care of you, right? It costs them $50 a month just to take care of you. If you start working in this mine, you are then going to have to earn enough to cover your own cost, which is another $50. If you move away from home, you have to have money to move away from home, so it's going to cost you even more. First, you have to take care of yourself. Then you have to live away from home. So your cost maybe go up to $100 a month, $150. I'm not sure how expensive things are in that part of the world. Probably not. Only after you cover all of those costs, then only can you make it. Now, the alternative is you stay at home. Whatever excess you make, you can give it to your parents, which is probably not going to be more than 100 maximum, I would say, $150 a month, right? So, so at most, you're doing this to take care of yourself and and if all goes well, give your family $100, $150 a month. Now, the way I positioned it to her was that if you go to a very good public school, and you know, in the United States, public schools are not prestigious, but in places like the UK, France, the Netherlands, even Russia, the most elite schools are you know, public institutions, public universities. If you went to a public school, it is possible we can get you there on some kind of scholarship or at least where education is free or close to being free for, for students who get in so that the only cost you would have to incur is that you, you get a job and you, have, and you pay for yourself you know, income to, to survive and then your parents end up saving the $50 that you 
would have saved them by not living at home. But, you know, because salaries are so much higher in places like Moscow and and the Netherlands, I'm, it's conceivable that you can get a part-time job that pays for yourself and you'll still be able to send money home. And she never, you know, she, she kind of thought about it but didn't realize it was possible. So I then put her in touch with another client who was in the fellowship program and you know they started talking because i did the same thing to that student where i got them out of vietnam and sent them to do their studies in france and so on so after a lot of debate and a lot of effort um i convinced Svita to apply to study in france which was definitely a long shot in the netherlands again a long shot because of the timing and then in a very very well some would say the number one school in moscow and you know surprisingly well to her but not to me because i thought she was very good she did get in in moscow she didn't get into france which i thought would have been hard for her anyway didn't get into the netherlands and the only reason she didn't get in is because in my opinion it wasn't because of her grades she, she didn't get in because she couldn't prove that she had the income to make the the trip across so in in her application forms and documents we we did make it very clear that if she were to get in she would have to get in on a full scholarship that pays for everything and so on and in fact in the rejection letter you know that we received from the french school which is a very good school by the way one of the grand calls it does say very clearly that the only reason that svita didn't make the cut is because most of the scholarships had already been given she applied too late but they would encourage her to reapply or if her personal circumstances change with regards to finances they would consider allowing her in but the bottom line is this right here's someone who grows up in a village in in the Saka region of Russia enormous potential and is basically wanted to live in a in a basically work in a mine earning what 150 200 dollars a month and all that potential is wasted and I think the important lesson here is that it is profoundly important that you frame the problem or you frame the opportunity correctly so that people can make decisions you know when 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 Svita was thinking through how much she could help her family she didn't realize that firstly the cost to her for a father and mother to take care of her was roughly fifty dollars a month it could be less i'm just estimating here and if she worked for the mining company at most i think she could have given them maybe a hundred hundred and fifty dollars well which means that they would save fifty dollars from her and they'd get a hundred and fifty dollars from her which is two hundred dollars extra disposable income they would have two hundred dollars a month may seem like a lot but it's not because that part of russia or russia is not that underdeveloped so it's not going to last you very long and you know she didn't really understand the opportunities that lay for her she didn't even know education is free in moscow i mean she's never left the Saka region she'd never been to a major city she didn't even think she could get into Moscow which is pretty hard by the way because of the way Russia sets up the movement of people from the smaller regions into the cities a little bit like China whereby the you know residents of Beijing and Shanghai have access to certain rights and people from other parts don't have those access she encountered those problems but we worked through it and you know she made it she got in and it's all about framing the problem once she realized, look, education is free. I can get a job that pays part-time. It's not going to pay me a lot, but it's probably going to pay me the same amount I would be able to give my parents anyway. Um, education, it will be a good school. 
it would set me up for the future um, and and it's about you know you it's about framing the problem correctly and about putting the right facts on the table because you're someone who's enormously promising but because they didn't have access to the right information they could have actually ended up having a pretty bad life and I'm pleased to say that she's now started studying after a lot of turmoil and trouble getting her there, which was difficult, actually. Never left home, um, you know, a little bit scared about moving. Also, you know, moving into a part of the world where you actually look different, because I don't know if you've seen people from the Saka region, they look different. I've put in um, a link to some images of the region she's from. I, decline, I decided not to put images that she sent me for confidentiality reasons, but I've got, I found a website that's pretty similar so you can see what her life was like. But it's just remarkable to me that you can find these really amazing, talented people who have so much potential and they don't know how much potential they have. And even if they know they have potential, they can't actually conceive a way out of their predicament, right? So it's almost as if the ones who make it at university are not necessarily the smartest ones, but the ones who who figured out they could go to university. And there's probably some really talented students out there who don't even realize that this path is open to them. So anyway, so so that's Sveta. Very interesting. Let's talk about some of the other lessons of working with Sveta. Right? I think that one of the things we've seen is that it's pretty expensive, I think, to to study in the United States because out-of-state and out-of-student tuition is very high. So in her case, we made the decision not to apply to the U.S. because it was not conceivable. She just, in my opinion, could not raise the money that was required and get the part-time work that was required to go to the U.S. It wouldn't have worked. For, she would have needed an exceptional scholarship, which given how late she applied because she wasn't planning to go anywhere, it would never work. She just didn't have the documentation. It would have taken too long. She would have lost a year of her life. So we put her into, we, we targeted Europe because the very good schools in Europe are basically free or close to free. She's gotten into an, a very elite school in Moscow, and the plan is that she can reapply to the French university next year, basically get a transfer. I don't think it'll be that difficult because then she could prove academic skills as well and then move across. So I think the, the next lesson here is that the cost of education makes it you know, difficult to sometimes pursue these options. Europe makes it easier because good schools are free, but I think that, and I'm not commenting on U.S. public policy with regards to education, but I think that if you want to attract the best people, you've got to find some way to, to offer a better deal for out-of-state students because I think that, I'm not saying all, you know, obviously very talented students go to the United States, but I'm sure that a lot of outstanding ones are not making it because they just can't pay that that amount that is required for foreign students. Even with scholarships and so on, it's still a lot that is required for for you to make that transition. I think the other lesson from Svita, and I think it's very similar to, to Sander, is that if, I would hope that you take time to listen to Sander's um, interview on the client page. But the, you know, the third lesson here is that it's not just framing the problem and having the right data. I find that a lot of these students are, are very worried about what happens to their parents. So you know, when we're when we're when we're advising students in the West, Canada, UK, United States, all the advice we give them is about what do you, the student, need to do to have an outstanding life. Where do you need to go? What do you need to do? How do you need to network? And when we speak to people like Sanda and Svita. 
It's actually, what do you need to do so that your family is better off? And I think that is something that I need to be better at switching on and off because obviously we don't have many emerging fellows, clients. We take a few, we bear the entire cost of the development and so on and train them and so on. But because we have so few of them, I have to actively remember, hey, I'm talking to someone who comes from a part of the world where family is very important. Every decision this child is making is about whether her family is going to be better off. And she really sees herself as really a resource so that her family can have a better life. And when I talk about all of these things that are good for her, it doesn't make a lot of sense to her because she can't relate it. It's not about her. So... The third lesson is about under, you know it's about understanding the role of the family, but about positioning the argument is not about what's good for her, it's about what's good for her family and how this journey I'm creating for her is not going to leave her family behind, which is I think a lesson that I forget at times when I'm working with students and I need to understand you know what is the primary motivation and it's not as if students in the United States don't care about their families. no, it's just that their families are usually in a better position so they don't have to have that burden on them. The fourth lesson I think is about. I think the fourth lesson is about it's about understanding relative strengths of regions. It doesn't matter where you study. I always tell you, it doesn't matter where you study. You can go to a very bad school, but if you are truly exceptional, you will thrive. Now, the thing about someone like Svita, she's never even heard of Yale. She doesn't... She didn't know what Harvard was when I mentioned it to her. So, in her case, it's actually a little bit easy to work with her. A lot of self-confidence. I mean, how many people find someone on the internet, write to them and send their resume and ask for a job? I mean, it's it's she, she has a lot of confidence. But on the one hand, you have someone who, because they've never heard of Harvard, she doesn't feel as if she's missed anything by not going to Harvard because she doesn't know what she's missed. So if I tell her, look, the school you're going to in Moscow, which is ranked number one, it's an elite school. I think about 80% of all uh, Russian students who end up at the Harvard Business School graduate from the school. If I tell her it's the most elite school, she's fine. She'll go with it. Obviously, I'm not misleading. It is the most elite school, but she's not. She doesn't have that regret, which I find is very common with students. They, you know, maybe they wanted to go to London School of Economics and they end up at another school. Maybe they wanted to go to INSEAD, they end up at another school. And they almost have this regret that they're missing out on something. She doesn't have that, and it's an advantage with these students because they don't know what they are missing. They don't miss anything, and the regret doesn't hurt their self-confidence because there is no regret to hurt their self-confidence. The the other point I want to make is that. We spoke about families, but maybe let's talk about value system a little bit here. Because we live, well, I, I'm talking about myself here, but because I live in the West and we live in a, in a society whereby monetary gain, look, firms consulting values means we don't place monetary gain before anything. For example, we we fund this entire adventure for Svita and it is, if we look at what happened to Sanda, I'm sure it'll be very successful. If we look at some of the other students, it'll be very successful for them. We must forget that whilst Svita is motivated by her parents' well-being. It's not as if she, she's motivated by this enormous chase for wealth. So when you talk to her about how much salary she could earn and so on, I almost feel at some point I lost her because she thought I was. She thought that I didn't realize where she was and what was her background. The fact that I 
that she could never achieve it. So she thought some of the discussions we were having it were unrealistic. And I did notice she'd go silent at times. And only when you know when I asked her why are you going silent, then she said, "Well, you know, I think the things you're mentioning are interesting, but you know, I could never have that. So I don't know why. You know, I don't want to think about it. So it's important that." Beyond family, you have to understand what motivates them. And it's not enormous wealth. It's attainable success, which is very different. She just wants to get a modicum of success. And if you want to, to, to get her, if you want to motivate her, you have to give her something that's attainable. And, and I always forget that it's relative what is attainable. Not just in, num- not just in numer- numerical value, but you, here you have someone who's grown up in a village a whole life. She's never left the village. She's never been outside of sub-zero temperatures, basically. And just for her to go to Moscow and study is a massive accomplishment. No one in her family has an education. She'll be the first. She'll go and get an education. She comes from a part of the world where she looks different. She looks Asian. She's not going to immediately fit in. It's, it's a big accomplishment. Then you tell her, well, if you get that, we then plan to send you to France to get uh, to complete your education. And then once you do that, we want you to apply to one of the world's most elite firms where only something like 5% to 2% of applicants get in. And then once you graduate, you'll be earning like $135,000 a year, which is more money than your father has ever dreamed of making his entire life. So, so the point is, while because we have many emerging fellows and we can see the journey take place, it becomes unattainable. So I think when you want to motivate people, you've got to give them things that are attainable. I know we always say that it is the right of people to see the entire path you create for them, but I think sometimes it hurts them to see that. As long as you're doing things truly with their best interests in mind, sometimes it makes just sense just to let them see what you have planned for them for the next three months and six months, and that's enough to motivate them. Because when you paint out this too long horizon, it becomes unattainable because... They just don't think it's possible. That's a very big lesson. I think the other lesson is we must never underestimate ethnic tensions in regions. I mean, when Svita first went to Moscow to get her documents and go for her you know, preparation and so on, she struggled to integrate quite substantially. Uh, never had a cell phone before. She has a TV. It's not that bad a place, but doesn't really know how to integrate into Western culture. Um, and the biggest challenge was with us is while she's a very confident person, is to, to convince her that this, you know, I remember the first week she was there and we had to speak to her, trying to convince her that, you know what, you've done the right thing, it's going to be difficult, that's normal. And one of the things that I, I've realized is that, and the, the last lesson here is that every time someone faces a difficult path, they always think, oh my God, I'm the only one facing this difficult part. For everyone else, it's so easy, so there must be something wrong with me and I should leave now before I embarrass everyone and hurt my family. And a lot of it is about just convincing her that, you know what? What you're going through is completely normal. Um, everyone that we know who's made this transition is going through the same thing. Everyone thinks that they this difficulty is just theirs and they're failing, but it's completely normal. And then... The, a long discussion that I had with her is to explain to her that, look, you know, in life, and I use a lot of sports analogies, which is kind of difficult for someone who's actually never watched traditional sports. But anyway, I watch a lot of football, European football, and I was trying to explain to her the concept of the fact that if you look at successful football teams, very rarely would you have a successful player becoming a successful coach. And I wanted to explain to her, you know, why is that the case? 
Why is it that if you look at the gr truly great football coaches, they were never illustrious players? I mean, truly great. Sure, you may find one or two very good players who became good coaches, but the truly great coaches were never great players. Why is that? It doesn't seem to make sense, right? Because you think that a truly great player knew what it was to be a great player and he can, and he can pass that on to the team. But the reality is this. The truly great coaches are great coaches because they know how to understand the fears, insecurities and inadequacies of their players better than successful players who became coaches because the successful players who became coaches never had to experience that. They don't know what it's like. They don't understand that concept. They don't understand the visceral fear of failure. And what I was trying to explain to her is that, you know, she's very young. She's not even 20 yet. And she's got a long career ahead of her. And while she cannot see that she's going to be successful, you know, considering where she is right now when we're having that call, is definitely not where she expected to be, you know, seven months ago. So what I wanted her to understand is that that the, 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 everyone needs to go through that learning curve of experiencing enormous fear, failure, and learning to move past that, because that's what makes you a great leader. There's no great leader who is just always successful. They may not talk about their failures, but it was there. And if you look at the footballing analogy, most of them actually had difficult times managing their own careers before they ended up being amazing people at managing other people. My point is this, Terry, is that don't just look at the trouble you're going through now, settling in, adjusting, and so on. Think about the benefits of what you are going through, the way it's developing you, the way you are learning to interact with different cultures. And remember that you are, you are only 19. Well, actually, she's, she's 18, but going on 19. And you don't know where you're going to be in the future. But you do know this. Wherever you go in the future, no matter what difficulty you are facing, you are going to know what it's like to travel thousands of kilometers away from your country into a completely different part of the world, integrate into a society you know nothing about, and begin that process. And that's a valuable experience to have. So, so, so irrespective of what happens, even if we stop right now, you have already gained something. So the perspective is, imagine how much more you could gain as you go through this journey. So... You know, those lessons are important. And the reason I wanted to put together this podcast is because I don't just think it's important for Svita and the Emerging Fellows. I mean, I speak to them quite often and I and I teach them what we can. But I think that it applies to other people as well who are going through difficult things in their careers and life and so on. You know, you've got to put difficulty in perspective. It is a learning process. So there's a saying where, which I like is never let a good crisis go to waste. And I believe that. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Always remember that no matter how bad things are, um, they can always get worse. But no matter how bad things are, your experience of it means you are, you are learning a skill that will definitely be useful later. I'm glad to say she's doing pretty well in her studies. I've seen her grades. She's doing very well. And, and I think, you know, I'm not sure she'll end up at a consulting firm because so many things can go wrong. But irrespective, she'll end up very successfully. Just stay on the path, and I think she'll do very well. And of course, later on, once things have settled down for her and you know we've successfully placed her, we will interview her on the website so she can talk about her own experiences. And I'm sure by the time that happens in a year or two, you know, when she when she position her for her first internship. In fact, 
she would be eligible to go to apply for an intern in a year's time because we'll make her apply early for her internship. We wouldn't make her apply in her final year. So literally in a year's time, we would be preparing her for her first McKinsey interview, which is considering we started this process so long ago, it's amazing how fast time flies by. But, you know, it's it's amazing to, to see someone come so from so far and, you know, I, I would urge you to look at the photos of the land she comes from. Uh, you know, some of the stories there are interesting. I remember, you know, the first time we helped her, she wanted to thank us by offering to send me reindeer meat from the Yakuts region, which I politely declined, not because I didn't think she'd send me good reindeer meat, because I don't think it's legal to import meat into Canadian borders without a permit. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, using a... a I'm not sure how she trapped this thing. I want to say shotgun, but I, I'm not sure. I don't think she has a permit to export reindeer meat. So anyway, the point is, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. Please read about some of the other emerging fellows like Sander. You can listen to her actually speak. You know, we've got her on on uh, 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 recording. And, and remember, a lot of the lessons that, a lot of the journey that they go through, the lessons are completely applicable to other clients and other readers. So please, please, you know, um, take some of these lessons and apply them to your own experiences because I think it will be very useful. As always, please post comments and I'll be more than happy to respond to them.